Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday pre-market prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Busy show today. A lot of news. We've got some... Uh, drug news, well, not really drug news, but uh, drug hype news, we'll say, from the president. We've got a big merger this morning. We've got some earnings from Domino's, Helen of Troy as well. IBM doing a spinoff. McDonald's just announced they're raising their dividend. A lot to get to on the show. Our guest, a new guest today, Michael Episcope. He is the principal and co-founder of Origin Investments. He is in real estate, knows real estate. We're going to talk to him all about the real estate sector, what he's seeing on the commercial and the residential sides. That'll be at 8.35. Um, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate that. And Joel, update us here. What exactly is happening in the overnight trading session? A little bit of a weak close, but that translated into a strong open. 06 and a quarter are open. Oh, five and a half. We had one quick spike to 34.33. Not sure what that was all about here. We've come back down and still trading in the green by 15 and a half handles at 34.22 and a quarter. Not much daily resistance here, folks. 36.50 was your September 8th high. Uh, crude, good day for crude. Back over 40, uh, up 63 cents at 40.58. Folks, we got a lot of highs right here. Between 4060 and 4085, let's call it, protecting 41. So keep an eye, see if crude can get into that $41 handle. Uh, gold in the green by 530, 1896.10, just flirting with 1900 again. Silver in the green by 17.4 cents at 24.07. And Bitcoin, that's down $50. At 10,670. Gonna bring in Triple D here, and I have a, and Spencer, you guys can probably answer this too without looking at the charts. The close from yesterday in the SP futures, right, was uh, 06, uh, 0650. Where do you think that ranks in all time closing highs for the index? Well, it's got to be somewhat near the top because we just made new all-time highs back in August. So it's got to be like top, like 10 for sure. Okay. What do you say, Spence? Yeah. I mean, top 20 seems reasonable. Uh, It was actually the fourth highest close in the The index. fourth highest one. Yeah. Yep. And the third one was at 07 and a quarter. And then the other two, you know, you can look at uh, the other two are way up there when we fell off the cliff. But, you know, you talk about I talk about, you know, the the importance of closing prices. And, uh, boy, I looked at that level right off the open. I said that that's a that's a great level if we hold that. And 
got a little long off it. Nice pop. So always keeping an eye on those closes. So you I just actually bought the rep and it worked. Well, we kind of dipped on the close yesterday. Oh, you grabbed that a little. little. So it's defining the little dip. You grabbed that oh, yeah. little one. You grabbed that little seven handle dip. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a dip now, the seven handle dip. Yeah, but uh, no, I just, you know, we got a ways to, to get up to our, our, our next daily high. I mentioned 36.75. I just thought a little, uh, not exactly trivia, but I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. Uh, at first, I didn't think there was much to talk about today, but in this market, there's always something to talk there's about. There's a lot to talk about, and there's obviously we have Merger Thursday. Um, wow. They're pulling the rug out from under us here. It's usually Merger Monday. Merger Thursday, Spencer. What what happened? What's up? Yeah, it was pretty quiet until around 7.30 when the PR came out. Morgan Stanley will acquire Eaton Vans for $7 billion. This is cash and stock deal. So I'll give you the breakdown here. 28.25 in cash plus a ratio. Here we go. Get your pens and pen. Paper. I'm getting it out. All right. Plus a ratio of 0.5833 shares of Morgan Stanley. That's what you need to know is the 0.5833 for you rest garb traders out there. And I always like a new deal. And you know what? Thank you, Morgan Stanley, because I have been trading the Morgan Stanley E-Trade deal for the last three, four months. And obviously that closed on the last E-Trade. And I was like, oh, that sucks. I like that Morgan Stanley ETFC risk garb trade. And I get a new one. So thank you very much. They must have been thinking about me when they did this deal. And said, poor Dennis over there, no risk arb trade. We're, we'll give him another one. So Morgan Stanley closes the trade deal and immediately goes and buys Eaton yeah. Vance as well. They're on a buying spree here, Joel. They see value, value investors here. Eaton Vance. I, I, uh, they've been around for a while. Hefty premium. I... They must have one hell of a research team or something. I mean, I, this is, yeah, you're like the, the premium. This is bringing it right back to the highs back from 2017. So yeah, I, I, windfall, if you had it overnight, if you're shorted overnight, me, you're crawling to your desk. But to me, uh, this is like, this is an asset grab, right? I mean, there's two ways to, to get, to get new assets. You, you can, you know, grow it organically or just buy build it. them or and, buy them. And they're buying assets and the name of the game is AUM and they're buying assets. So that's what this is to me. What are they they're, doing to Morgan? Are they, are they tagging? They're Morgan? hitting it. Yeah. And it, because it, 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 in the all stock deals, they typically do knock them down a bit. They're not tagging as much as you'd think they tag it though. But again, it's a bank. It's Morgan Stanley. It's not like it's in smaller company. It's really going to get tagged on it, but they're hitting it a bit. So MS down, obviously these two are going to be locked in. The risk herbs will adjust for premiums here today. After today, those two will be in tandem together. So if you're trading MS, it's going to move EV. Remember, it won't quite move as much though. So EV, it's, the ratio is only 0.5833. So it's only going to move for every dollar that Morgan moves, EV is going to move 58 cents. So you can't do it even dollars because you got the cash component in there. Okay. Uh, just a surprising deal. I mean, pretty, pretty good sized deal here for Morgan after the E-Trade. Uh, do we, I mean, is there any true peers in this one? Yeah, uh, Spencer had a couple of good ones. Give them to us, Spencer. Yeah, there are some potential peers. Well, it, there are a lot of publicly traded asset managers of that yes. size. You don't want to go too big like BlackRock or Blackstone. Those are because those would be the acquirers. Right, and you don't want to go too small either. So uh, the first things I thought of were uh, IVZ and JHG, only Both because those. if you think back to, was it last week or the week before, Nelson Peltz, 
uh, disclosed an active stake in both of those companies, IVZ and JHG. So those already had a, yeah. a headline last week. So that's where my brain went to first. I also caught BEN, Franklin Templeton, that's yeah. this morning as well. I'm sure there are more. I haven't done an exhaustive search, but those are the three that jumped out to me this morning. And they're jumping out to the market here too. Uh, BEN's trading up. I know it had just ticked at 2254. Uh, it's trading up about 4% here in the pre-market, which is a significant move for that stock. IVZ, same thing, up above 4%. And JHG is up 3, 3.1%. So uh, market likes all of those picks here, Spencer, and those are three are trading higher there. You were reaching a bet. You gave Brookfield Asset Management. It's a Canadian company. Um, I'm not sure they're going to go over into Canada here, but it's actively traded here as well. So maybe they do. It is bid up here this morning as well. So keep an eye on that one too. But I would say the IVZ, JHG probably uh, get a lift here this morning in, in sympathy. And other names, again, you don't want to go too big, but like you think about State Street, uh, they're much bigger. Yeah. The KKR, yeah. much bigger private equity, Apollo Global, APL, um, all much bigger. Um, all so you bigger. want to stick you want to stick around at the Eaton Vans market cap level, which is mm-hmm. I think around what, five or six billion. So um, you, you, know, you want to stay stay in that ballpark uh, for sympathy plays today is was my point. Um yeah, so that was a big deal. Yeah, we also caught. There's another deal, not some, not in a, uh, not a merger, but a spinoff. IBM said they're unlock the value. Yep, they're spinning off their infrastructure services unit. Uh, they also, while they're at it, pre-reported some earnings for the third quarter. But I think the bigger headline here is a spinoff wow. of, of what I understand is basically just servers and server facilities is what it sounds like to me i mean you're sitting there ibm and you're watching every tech stock fly high and your tech stock's been in the doldrums here not even for you know a year but for years like 2014 this was 200 dollars. you're 124 bucks i mean so in one of the biggest run-ups in tech in years your stock is down a cool 35 percent over that span so they're looking here at ways, what, what, how can we get a better valuation on this? You know, because obviously it trades at a really ridiculously low multiple, eight or nine times earnings. And it's old school tech and it's just unloved. So they're like, maybe we do something like this. Maybe we'll get some love. Getting the immediate gratification from the deal stock is up $15. Oh. That is a move in IBM, one of its biggest moves you're ever going to see in the stock. Um, I, I can't bring myself to possibly chase IBM up here. I, I don't know if to short it. I mean, how is the market? Look at this. It's unlocking the value. My only question is, do we see some of the other old school tech stocks try to say, hey, if this is going to work for IBM to get our share price up, maybe we got to do the same. And I'm thinking Cisco. I think like, you know, I'm not saying that we should be buying Cisco down here. It's been a dog of all dogs. I sold the stock back at 42 because I just eventually just wanted to cut the loss and it's been a dog. But could a move like this spark a rally in some old school tech stocks if they think that, you know, maybe Cisco does a similar move and spin something off? Question to you guys. Jeez, I I don't know. I mean, it's historically uh, on earnings, IBM has faded hard off the pops. Uh, but this is a little bit different uh, situation here. I'll go, I'll go two numbers. Uh, the pre-market high were only three bucks off and it looks like it's bid at 138. So I think, you know, if you're a gap up trader, you see that support on the 15 minute 138. Follow through through 142 is your key. You know, if by 10 o'clock you're not through 142, 
You may look for a little fade of this. My next weekly high comes in uh, from February at 148.05. So I think 142. I'll just get it down to one number. Take out that 142. More upside for IBM. And it's a shocker. Uh, we haven't heard from them in a while. You're, you talk about a catalyst. Nobody saw this coming. Nerves. Yep. Yep. Quiet consolidation on the weeklies. Uh, Rangetrader.com was uh, 120 to 130 pretty much since July. Uh, you're breaking out here. I don't I don't think there's a chance to get into the top of yesterday's range, but let's see what happens at 142. Another pop in the S&Ps here. Yeah. Uh, no, games. Well, the president is on, is on Fox. Oh, that'll do uh, it. Is he talking about the Regeneron? Oh, geez. Not just the Regeneron. He's talking about Eli Lilly. He says they're going to get approval as well. He's talking everything up. So, yeah, the, the, the video last night uh, wow. from, uh, from the White House, coupled with the interview this morning, talking up various pharmaceuticals. All right, it's time to cancel orders. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. <laughs> Sorry, uh, if you got to watch Fox Business today, we understand it's market moving Fox, here, Fox, but we yeah. that that's uh, that's a big move here. Obviously, he just talked something up. Um, and, and this video, and Spencer, I've got to give you props because you said it a week ago. You said you've got to have the twi- Trump Twitter feed pinned onto your screen. Give it, you know, give it space on your screen because he's going to be tweeting stuff that is going to be market moving. He tweeted a video yesterday, just after five o'clock. And he talked a lot of drug stocks in there, but none more than the Regeneron. And why, why I'm joking about this is in the video, he said, he didn't say they gave me the Regeneron cocktail. He said, they gave me the Regeneron and I feel great. I feel 20 years younger. So forever now, Regeneron, at least to me, is going to be known as the Regeneron. Well, anyway, stock is up 27 points because Trump pumped like he has never pumped before. He was pumping that in Lily. The one stock that did not get a mention, which he actually took, was Rindisavir, and Gilead did not get a mention in the four-minute video. So Gilead snubbed. Still trading up here, but snubbed. Uh, The Regeneron, though, all the love. Stock trades up 27 points. I thought about shorting this last night at 610 because I thought it was overdone, but then I remembered... Oh, yes, Chris Camilo buys that stock for me when it starts pumping up. So I was like, I'm not going to try to fade the Regeneron here. He's probably going to come out and pump it again with Maria Bertaroma this morning. And I just uh, might be too early on the fade. I do think it's a sell. I do think eventually the luster will fade on this. But with that being said, right now, people are buying. I think the people who are buying at 619 are going to lose money. But I don't know if they're going to lose it today. How do we know what drug actually made him feel better exactly that's i mean he took remdesivir and he took the regeneron and he took something else too he took everything man (laughs) i'll take one of those i'll I'll take one of those no pills like candy popping (laughs) in and anyways but regardless he feels better and he cited the regeneron as the cause of his better health so that's why you're seeing Regeneron trade up 27 points here. So it gets the big pop from Trump before. It gets the big pop from Trump again. You have all kinds of resistance, all kinds of overhead supply on Regeneron here. 
And I got to think there's going to be some profit takers in there. That ugly 620 that we got from three days ago, go. we are right back up there again. There you Resistance go. is very well defined. This there actually sets up. It actually does set up really well for a short if you got the guts. And I wish I would have <laughs> had the guts on DraftKings the other day because we talked about the 52. And I was like, oh, I'm worried about this. And I should have just turned around and forgot about all that and just bought the 52 because it would have worked. So if you're just forgetting about it all and forgetting about the Trump pump going on here right now and just saying, you know what, the Regeneron isn't a complete game changer for the company. It might be for COVID, but I don't think it's a complete game changer for a pharmaceutical company of this size. Um, and you're just looking at a technical resistance. 620 is huge. So I think it does set up pretty well for a short off of 620, but you got headline risk because maybe tonight he tweets out again, oh, the Regeneron's going to get approval and then it'll pop another 10. So you have headline risk with this, but if you're just trading it technically, 620, major resistance. If I was long it, I'd be selling it as fast as I could. And the old alternative, you know, instead of sticking out, you know, you're offered 620 and getting your face ripped off, you know, maybe you go through 620. Oh, we're going to 625. You go to 622 and a quarter and then come back down through that level. Uh, at least you'll have a reference point with that early morning high. But it, it's almost too obvious there. You got, you got over that in the pre-market trading, or let, let's call it uh, after hours. You got to 624.06. So if you're looking for another target in the Regeneron, there it is for you. Uh, and it'd also be free, apparently. <laughs> so I'm not sure how. Free drugs yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be free. We're all going to get it, and we're all going to be cured. So. And poor Gilead, Dennis. You mentioned that it was up. but How man. did they not give it? A, he never even mentioned it. He got their drug. It could have been It could have been remdesivir that made him feel better, and they didn't even get a four-minute video. He talked about every pharmaceutical company on the planet did not mention Gilead. No, but he mentioned, mentioned, he mentioned Moderna, and he mentioned Pfizer. They must be like sitting at Gilead and saying, everyone hates us. The market hates us. Trump you know, we give him his drug, he feels better, and he gives the credit over to the Regeneron. Because it's they, not what a, are they saying at their Gilead right now? We buy growth, they hit our stock. Because it's not a vaccine, it's a treatment. There's a difference. Gilead needs to do a spinoff too, like IBM just did, unlock the value, <laughs> because you know what? Gilead is just absolutely hated by this market. You know what? I, I want to own Gilead for the simple reason it's at huge technical support and the valuation is so low. Uh, it's a nice level. But it is just so hated. They hate the stock. Uh, I, I don't think. It. I don't think Trump likes to chart. You he's know? looking at charts. Trump's a technical <laughs> trader here now, and he says, yeah. it's been hanging out down here too long at this sixty. It's going to go through there, and you know, and I, and I don't know. I just don't know. If I was Gilead, I'd be very disappointed that I didn't get the mention from Trump in the four-minute video. And I heard someone he from Regeneron drop. said that it was, yeah, of course. Of course it was uh, our drug, but... Of course it was. CEO yeah. was on CNBC the other day. Oh, yes. It was the Regeneron. Okay. So anyways, we've talked the Regeneron long enough. Let's go back to earnings season, which we are going to be actually getting into soon. Yeah, we next, have, next week. Next week it's coming, but we have a little start, or the, maybe it's the tail end of the last earnings season, and everybody expected big things from Domino's Pizza. The options traders last night on Fast Money were saying everything looked good for this stock. Unfortunately, they were wrong, and the stock is trading down now. 
$17 on its disappointing earnings. Spencer, give us the details. I'm just trying to confirm uh, which quarter. It was Domino's as Q3. I, I, I'm not positive when the quarter ended, though. So it could be a laggard from last season. It could be the early start of this season. In any case, I'll give the Domino's numbers here from this morning. Q3 EPS, $2.49 versus a $2.78 estimate. So a miss on the EPS, you don't see that too often these days. Sales, 967 versus $952 million. So beat on the sales number. Uh, retail sales up 14% on the, on a year-over-year basis. Uh, but that EPS miss stands out to me. You don't, yeah. see, you don't see too many of those. They don't like earnings misses when they're talking big, you know. And obviously, we think everybody's been eating pizza while they've been in lockdown. So... Uh, it's had a nice run-up into the earnings, too. So, again, if you're playing this ahead of the earnings, it's been moving really for the last two weeks from 390 up to 431. Everybody expecting a lot, and it didn't materialize. I, now, on a pullback, it is the name, buy the dip. Do I want to buy the dip on day one? I'm not sure. But if this got down, for whatever reason, over the next few days down to the 400 area, I think you find buyers again. Did you were you watching this when it came out? Did you have any shot to hit this at like four twenty three, four twenty four? No, you know why? Because the bots are so good. Like you've got to wait. So so the earnings break and they don't just put you know a, a number up there. The earnings break. This is how it works. And then you've got to read the release. But the bots somehow decipher through all of that and get the number right on the thing. So it's getting hit by the time you open the the article to go read it. So okay. impressive, impressive algorithms that can run through a headline and pick out the numbers then compare it to what the numbers are going to be and then sell it on that i mean it's very impressive yeah then they probably just put an order in you know at like four bucks lower five bucks lower right a marketable limit so they sweep every you know they hit everything in the book uh yeah well i'm just looking at the dailies here boy i should have should have used the old commercial indicator. Did you see what? Uh, do you see what they're rolling out? Domino's, a new pizza. No. Are you ready for this? What do they got? Okay. No, a I heard it. I heard about this. Go though. Cheeseburger pizza. And the, and, oh, a chi- and a chicken taco pizza. Well, chicken taco sounds good, but Papa John's. So we already have precedents here. Papa John's came out with the cheeseburger pizza. Remember, they were even trying to figure out if it had Big Mac sauce on it or not. And I tried it. This was, we talked about this on the show even like five years ago. I was like, I want to eat, go Google it. Papa John's came out with a cheeseburger pizza probably a decade ago. And I was like, I want to eat this cheeseburger pizza. This thing's going to be awesome. I was actually, Mitch, if you're listening, I was actually in Denver the first time we saw the commercial for the new Papa John's cheeseburger pizza. And I'm like, I'm there with my wife. And I'm like, I want to eat that cheeseburger pizza. So we found a Papa John's in Denver. Went and ordered the cheeseburger pizza. The first piece was amazing. I thought I was eating a Big Mac. <laughs> the second piece was pretty good. By the third piece, I was like, I'm sicked out, man, because this is like pizza, but it tastes like a cheeseburger. I don't know if I'm eating a cheeseburger or a pizza. So anyways, I never ordered it again after that. So it was like buyer's remorse after the second piece. First piece, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. How it's many pizza do you eat? And it tastes like a cheeseburger. How many pieces, pizza pieces do you eat? Well, that was three, and I stopped at three. But normally, I would eat a lot more right. than three. Bottom How line. many pieces of pizza can you eat at a setting? Bottom I could probably line. do. You want to hear my chicken wing story? Oh. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. They <laughs> want me to go on the tangent. All right. So there's this place in Windsor, which is where you know I went to university, University of Windsor. 
And me and my buddy, Phil, uh, we would go to this Hurricanes, and they had two-for-one wings, and they had huge wings. So this was back, you know, when we were big eaters, and we were lifting weights, and we were like, oh, we got to get right into, you know, we we're eating big, big protein. So anyways, go to Hurricanes, or we normally order the 12, and you get 24 wings, and you get fries with that too. So we'd always go in the 12. Anyways, to be tough guys, we're like, we're going to order the 24 wings, and it's two for one. So we get 48 chicken wings apiece. So I'm sitting there eating 48 chicken wings and with fries, 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 with fries, and and I got the veggies too. There was a and, carrot and, stick. And, oh yeah, you gotta have the veggies. Diet, and the diet so, coke, right? Diet so anyways, and I went with coke. my. So it was three of us. So it was me, Phil. Phil was 300 pounds at the time. I was like two. Oh, good indicator. So he could eat. So it wasn't really, actually it wasn't really fair. You had the six foot six guy, 300 pound guy, and I'm trying to out eat him. Um, and then uh, we had uh, my other buddy Schnur, who was a smaller guy. And he didn't have the gut, so he only ordered 12. So anyways, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can do this. I take down the entire 48 chicken wings. Phil, we knew Phil would do it. He's 300 pounds. He took it down, no problem. I take down the 48 chicken wings. I take down the fries. I take down the veggies. And I'm like, and a couple beers to go on the side. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, I, I did this. And then my buddy Mike, he, uh, he, he couldn't do it. So we drove over there. And we like we left them there because I'm like you can't get in the car if you can't eat 48 chicken wings. It was only like a mile drive. We made a walk. But anyways, I got home. So I get home and I'm sitting there with my buddy Phil. And my it's about a half an hour later. My stomach feels like it's exploding. It goes by and like another hour, two hours later. I'm like I'm so full right now. I actually think my stomach may have exploded in my stomach. I am so full. I felt like hell for two days after that. So moral of the story. Do not eat 48 chicken wings when you only weigh 200 pounds. If you weigh 300 pounds, you probably can eat 48 chicken wings. Weigh 200 pounds, you can't do it. But anyways, tough, tough, tough. But I kind of felt like at the time, though, I felt like Kobayashi. I felt like, man, I, you know, like the hot dog eating champion. I'm the chicken wing champion of the world. But anyways, I can't talk that. So uh, we, we, we went on a bad tangent from the pizza. I could probably easily eat a large pizza by myself, but. All right. uh, I, I won't I'm never eating you. 48 chicken wings again. Uh, pre-market low uh, is in the 406 handle. We got the 406.11. I really don't have a reference point there. Let's see on the dailies. I'll go with Dennis's number. If you happen to take out that pre-market low, maybe look closer to 400. 400.90. Uh, that was your low on the 22nd of September. And coming back on the upside, I don't know if you're going to get a chance at uh, yesterday's uh, low. That's a 425.77. Uh, the high point of your rebound, though, if you're just looking at short-term charts and you're trading this short-term, the bump off the low has been 1630. So that's what you're looking at here in DPC. Great story, uh, though, Dennis. Whatever it's worth, Papa John's down 15 cents, uh, if you want to see On it. the story. In, in sympathy uh, <laughs> it's down 15 cents because they're coming out with their cheeseburger pizza domino stole our cheeseburger pizza which didn't work anyways yeah so all right uh that was that was dpz do you want to do uh helen of troy while we're at it uh, sure there this morning eps beat sales beat that's what we're used to seeing what does helen of troy do i was gonna ask that i think they sell high-end stuff i've traded it but i don't even know what they do aren't they a high-end retailer yeah it's like uh housewares right it's like uh, it's like um uh kitchenware uh uh, uh appliances this right like what like did they have their own stores do they yeah that's one of my questions i've never oh. seen a helen of troy store no it's like a it's a brand 
it's like they oh have, it's a brand like that's getting sold at williams sonoma and stuff type right deal? right that's that's my understanding of it all right or bed bath and beyond helen of troy so you got the helen of troy sympathy move with bbby <laughs> anyways I, lots of resistance joel i'm gonna take your technicals away from me here because this one's a slam dunk i can easily do this one we usually when they're yep. hard i throw them to joel but you got all kinds of resistance from 212 210 to 212 so let's see if we can break through there yep. if for whatever reason we can make a new all-time high above 213.30 then it gets interesting but at this point it's kind of muted the trading response yeah if you bought this at 215 uh you may want to reevaluate your trading strategies <laughs> That was the pre-market high, uh, 215. We're going to get jobless claims in two minutes. I'm not sure if that will move markets. It probably won't, but it's worth having on your radar, Dennis, because you never know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll get our guest on at 835 here, uh, Michael Episcope. But let's just do some ratings here. This Roku uh, rating caught my eye this morning. A new street high price target from Needham. Thanks, Needham. $255. This is from Laura Martin. She's been on the bull she's, train. She's good. She's been on the bull train for, for years on this one. And she's been. Oh, that's good then. She's been right. She's just raising her price targets and not upgrading. Correct. Okay. Because when they upgrade them up here, I'm like, where were you before? So if they're just raising, that's cool. Uh, it's been working for her and she thinks been, it's still going she's higher. Been, yeah, she's been bullish. All right, so that's good. She didn't turn bearish to bullish here all of a sudden at the top. So, I mean, this story is intact. Does Roku valuation make sense? No. Does, is this stock going to be lower in 10 years? I think so. But the story is currently intact. Mitch, myself, we've got Citron uh, left saying the same thing. Story is all that matters. Story is still intact here. Roku is still a hot story. It's making new all-time highs. I absolutely do not want to be short it. Do I buy it on a pullback as a trade? Probably. Do I stick it in my long-term investment portfolio thinking that Roku is going to you know, be the thing? I think the valuation's nuts, so I don't do that. But as a trader, I'm buying the dips. Uh, two 15-minute highs at 222.73 and 75. So there you go. You got a target. Your low off that's been 218. So right there, there's your early range. Below 218, uh, look out on the downside and above that 222.75, who knows where this is going. She actually debated um, left yeah, on TV because, on this one. She did a really good job. Yeah, yep. she debated against. If I recall, Andrew left, left. was bearish. Left. Right? Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. If I recall, he was bearish. She was bullish. That was a couple of years ago, right? A year like, or two ago? It was like two years ago. She yeah. beat Andrew track. Left in a debate? Well, I don't know if you want to like say someone won or someone Andrew, That Andrew Left can talk. But uh, <laughs> right, it's 8.30 here. We're going to get jobless claims. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be a market moving event, but we'll keep yeah. one eye on it. Uh, that'll be that's incoming here in in a couple of uh, seconds. I also forgot to mention uh, while we were on the topic of food stocks, uh, McDonald's uh, raised their dividend this morning uh, by four cents from a buck and a quarter to a buck twenty nine per share. They also gave some uh, comp sales uh, figures, uh, and they are also expanding their drive through. They're putting a, another lane in all their drive throughs uh, throughout the country uh, in order to facilitate the traffic going through. Uh, this is the one stock that I wanted to actually buy during the COVID crisis, and I never pulled the trigger. Um, remember, I wanted to buy it when it was 190 before the COVID crisis, Joel. 
and you know and then it obviously collapsed and it got down to 124 dollars when we thought every restaurant on the face of the earth was going bankrupt that obviously was not the case and now they flocked to mcdonald's and despite some of the restaurants indoor dining still not being open stocks making new all-time highs you're right the the drive-thrus are absolutely packed i mean they're raising the dividend this this company works in a pandemic it works in a non-pandemic it just works on pullbacks here I'd be a buyer of MCD. I'm loving it. After one, uh, and I've mentioned this before, my, my record at McDonald's after I did a 10,000 meter workout and swimming was uh, four quarter pounders and two large fries. Well, that's good. That's impressive too. Yeah. So four quarter pounders, there's a big burger. So I always go value menu and I could <laughs> eat like five or six value burgers, but four quarter pounders and two large fries. So, and Joel, what do you weigh? Oh, so this, this is, is what you I, gotta almost do a pound for pound. Oh man, you do an eating contest like that's why the Kobayashi guy was so impressive because he weighs like a hundred. When he eats the hot, and we're talking the hot dog eating contest, Nathan's. But when Kobayashi, and we're going back on food tangents here, when Kobayashi <laughs> eats the seventy hot dogs, the oh. guy weighs like a hundred. He weighs in like hundred eight pounds, and he weighs out like hundred and twenty because he weighed he ate twelve pounds worth of food in the twelve minutes sitting. You but know what? I I weigh. What do you weigh? What do you weigh right now? Well, listen to this. When I graduated high school, I was 135 pounds. I was 5'6". So people don't, when they see me, and now I'm just under six foot, about a buck 80. I just, that's right. So I, I, I was, I was 135 pounds when I did that, when I ate the four quarter pounders. That's I put impressive it, too. Yeah. Four quarter pounders is impressive. You're almost in the 48 chicken wing category. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I They're do big not, wings I, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Spencer, tell us about the jobless claims here. Yeah. Right? Worse than expected, 840,000 new claims filed last week versus 820,000 estimate. Uh, we're still up there. I mean, I, they fell week over week. So, I mean, uh, this is, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, they just, uh, they ignore this. But, you know, you had the Trump pump and now you're kind of, you know, coming down a little bit. Uh, Mid-range has been holding up really well on the session. It's not a great number because, it you know, we've chopped through it. Uh, you know, quite a few times, but my intermediate number here, 1950, 34, 1950. Good level. Keep an eye on if you're trying to stay in the bull camp. Yeah. Uh, all right. 833. We're going to bring our guest on in a couple of sure. minutes here. Let's, let me go back to uh, the ratings for a second. Uh, make sure there was. Uh, Citigroup got downgraded by uh, JP Morgan. Did I see that? Kind of the pick. Yeah. And Citigroup had news last night too, Joel. Oh, fine. Um, yeah, yep. the fine, and it got smacked, and it was dipping. I actually got picked off, so I had an order up there on a market-making order on Citigroup, and I got picked off on the news. I was like, ah! And then, so I didn't, I, anyways, I turned around and, like, quickly hit the bit to pick somebody else off for, like, <laughs> a, a, a slight loss. And then it went down, and it got under $44, and I was like, you know what? I should just buy this. Close my eyes and just buy it. It's going to come back. This is just a fine. They're going to shrug this off. I couldn't bring myself to do it, though. Stock obviously did come back, and it's now it's all the way back up. So despite getting fined, getting J.P. Morgan or a downgrade from – is J.P. Morgan downgraded it? Yeah, that's not very nice. And the stock's still trading in the greens. So these banks all just move together. 46 bucks. Put your buy stop in at 46.05. If it gets over 46 and holds, maybe you get a chance. It got walloped. Those were fines back when it was at 52 or something. I, I can't – I can't remember what that was, but 46 just looks like a rock solid support. And of course, you're almost a buck off the pre-market low. 
pre-market low, 43.88. And folks, when, when a stock like Citigroup moves a buck in the after hours at pre-market, just trying to think of yourself it. like, okay, how much do you need to move this thing a buck in a regular session, right? And uh, just something to keep in mind. But uh, not looking good. I, I just look at that 46, clear 46. I think it has a chance at some upside. All right. We try to you know, make our way around the markets on this show, but we haven't really talked about real estate a ton. So that's what our next guest will do. Michael Episcope. He's a principal and co-founder of Origin Investments. It's a real estate investing platform based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Spencer, for having me on. All right. We, give us a high-level overview on what you're seeing right now in the real estate sector, on the commercial side, on the residential side, because there's a lot going on there. We haven't talked about it a ton on the show. Yeah, so I, I really think it depends on uh, the sector you're talking about. So I'll just, in, in pre-COVID, prior to COVID, the market was strong. I mean, you had um, private market was strong, public market was strong. Everything was hitting kind of 52-week highs. COVID came along and obviously um, changed everything during that period. And it really, I would say during those two to three months, it felt like 2008, 2009 all over again. But then what happened is the Fed threw $5 trillion worth of stimulus at the problem. And we sort of had this V-like recovery in the stock market, but certainly not all of that translated into uh, the real estate, the operational performance side. But when you look at things in a post-COVID world, it, it's all over the map, depending on the sector. So you have the virtualization of the office, which has really fundamentally changed that sector forever. Um, multifamily was impacted, but not nearly to the extent. And, and what happened in multifamily, and this is really the product type that we um, specialize in, you had operational cash flow that was suffering, but because you have 10-year treasury notes going down to 0.7%, cap rates are also following, right? And the cap rate is the inverse of a PE. So people are really willing to pay more for less cash flow of that particular property, right? Higher PEs in our market that time. So lots of capital in the market, nothing has really changed there from a valuation perspective, but you've certainly seen um, the yields come down quite a bit. On the, um, we also follow the public markets quite a bit. And what's interesting in that, you've had some, um, some sectors that have benefited from this. And one is um, cell towers, right? And a lot of people don't think about cell towers as a real estate, but there are REITs out there. American Tower is one of them. Another area is digital realty. And these are, um, uh, these are data centers. And data centers have actually benefited from this because of all of the AI and everything that's out there. And then um, another sector is farmland. So Weyerhaeuser, things like that, um, is, is a great um, stock that we follow. And, the, and, and that's just because of the um, pent-up demand on the lumber side. You've seen that stock. It's now sitting at uh, pre-COVID levels. So it, it's all over the map, depending. And, and I would say re, um, retail has been on the ropes. And this was just like, you know, kind of the knockout punch for retail. So you've seen a lot of, you know, on the private side, these class B and C malls, they're going into uh, receivership. They're going to have to um, be repurposed. And, and that whole market has been accelerated. Um, but when we look at, at kind of what has happened in, you know, in a post-COVID world, it's really important to now understand where are the demographic shifts happening, right? Are they happening? Is it going to be permanently from the cities to the suburbs, from the big cities to more of the lifestyle cities? And certainly in, um, in working with apartments and only, like, we have to look at these. So we're focusing primarily on what we call lifestyle cities. And these are cities where 
people would live if they didn't have a job. So we're looking at places like Austin, Texas and Denver and Orlando and places that um, people just want to live and, and is nice quality of life. And so some of the big cities, people are there for jobs, but those jobs as they go virtual will really um, impact demographic shifts like we've never seen before. A question for you when you're talking about office. Uh, do you do any differentiation between like office, office space, which, you know, uh, my follow-up question will be regarding that versus like medical office space. I know that, you know, my wife worked through the entire pandemic. Do you, do you feel like I, like I know around here, I mean, we got a lot of office buildings and a lot of them had vacancies before. And I know there's a lot of people that aren't paying their rent. Do you differentiate uh, between office space uh, categorization? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and every, you know, we think about real estate and we hear like, what's the real estate market doing? And even within the real estate market, there's so many idiosyncratic nuances, right? And people don't think about data centers and multifamily and medical office and office all being um, related to one another. But even in the retail sector, there's some retail that's thriving where other is just going absolutely bankrupt. So um, medical office is um, doing better than traditional office because certainly traditional office is more commoditized. Medical office tends to be anchored um, and healthcare is doing fairly well. Um, but even in that space, there's some areas of healthcare that are, um, are suffering today. So I'll give you an example. Um, senior living, which during the 08 and 09 crisis, they didn't even experience a, a blip. They were actually in growth phases and it was kind of annoying going to some of these conferences where you'd have the senior living operators saying, what recession, you know, well, we're over there and everybody else is scraping and clawing. Well, this is very different for that group because obviously COVID is impacting senior living facilities and the healthcare on that side. But when you get into private real estate, it's very idiosyncratic around the particular asset itself. You don't want to go into a declining sector because you're rolling a rock uphill, but every building has unique characteristics. And certainly there, if you stratify within the sector between traditional office, medical office, triple net lease office, it's all very different and nuanced. So what do you say to an investor that's looking to go into, you know, the real estate, the REITs and everything? I mean, what are, you know, what are the provisions for uh, delinquent payments and bankruptcies? I mean, there has to be some big write-offs coming down. And I think that's kind of what's keeping me out of, you know, would keep me out of that market is how are you factoring that in? I mean, how much cash reserves do these companies have? So if you're looking at office, I mean, office is an area that I wouldn't touch right now, personally. I mean, we're starting to see okay. there's still capital in that markets and the capital markets are strong. And the only money that's being raised for that sector, sector right now is really in, in sort of vulture funds, if you will, waiting for the bankruptcy to happen. Because you have to remember that COVID happened six months ago, seven months ago during that time. But a lot of these leases are long-term leases that take five, seven, nine years before they roll off. And so even a company like ours, we just expanded pre-COVID into another 3,500 square feet, but it was as if we burned that money and now we're going to be looking to sublease that space. But everybody I'm talking to for every one company that wants to expand because maybe they want more space, there's, you know, eight or nine out of 10 who are actually looking at downsizing. So um, I would be very careful in that sector, but there's also um, multifamily is an, is an essential asset class. So in something like that, um, where, we've, where we've seen a decline in operational cash flow in the near term, 
um, people need a place to live. And, and then it's just a matter of making sure that you have a, an apartment building in the right community, the right area, the right city, so growth. And as these demographic changes happen, you're going to see some areas that are completely undersupplied. Um, we just did a deal in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And Colorado Springs is the only city in the entire nation that had positive rent growth throughout COVID. And the reason is, is that when you think about Colorado Springs, it's about an hour south of Denver. Well, Denver has had all these growing pains and, and Denver is a wonderful city, love it. But like every great city, when the population starts getting too big, you get high traffic, you get, you know, all the charm that attracted people there. People are starting to get tired. You used to be able to get to the mountains an hour and a half on the weekends. Now it's three hours. And that's pushing this entire demographic south because you get what Denver looked like 15 years ago access to the mountains, front range, you get access to the ski hills. And, um, and something like that is, is very idiosyncratic. So we're looking at um, sites and locations that are going to benefit as a result of idiosyncrasies from COVID, but also just are benefiting from maybe other geographical nearby features as well. So Michael, let's talk about like how investors can play a flight to the suburbs or whatever, because maybe they don't realize there's a lot of different ways to to invest in this sector. You can do it publicly via REITs or platforms like yours. So, like, how how can investors get exposure to this this trend if they wanted to play a flight to the suburbs? So, a company like ours, we um, our our whole mission is to bring institutional quality real estate investing to individual investors. So, we have about 1,200 investment partners today. We serve individuals, RAAs, family offices, and we, um, we have open-ended funds. So our strategy is we invest in both the urban area and the suburban area. Um, so you can invest in a fund like ours to get exposure um, to asset classes in different, um, uh, different areas like that. You, you know, to, to actually get exposure. I mean, you've seen people going out and buying single family homes. I don't think that that is a, a great strategy. I don't think, um, I don't view single family homes as an investment more than it is a, a consumption good to live in a quality of life. Um, I personally, I live in Chicago and I've never made money on my home. So it's a little bit different, but maybe if you're in Nashville or elsewhere in the world, you, you, you might be um, making money on your single family home. But um, but you also have to understand that this might be short-lived, right? We know that the millennials, and, and this is, you know, a lot of people are associating COVID with this millennial moving out to the suburbs. Well, millennials are getting to an age where, of course, they're moving to the suburbs. This is not a surprise. We've been talking about this for five years. But what you have to do is look at the demographic behind them and say, is it big enough to fill what the millennials are leaving behind? And the answer is yes. So demographic changes and sort of bubbles that are coming through, and we had this with the baby boomers, with Gen Xers, with millennials, we've got it with Gen Zers. So it's, it's a matter of taking all this into consideration, but I would be very careful to look for a strategy that is suburban only because when we do get through this and we will, what happens, right? And, and some people right now might be a contrarian and say, look, the cities are going nowhere. And in that case, you might look at something like an EQR, a public stock, because EQR is trading at 52 week lows right now um, or just off the lows and they are primarily um, major cities, right? So they're in, um, they're in New York, they're in San Francisco, they're in LA, all the cities that where people are fleeing right now. But if you believe that there's going to be a reversion of the mean or this is temporary, that could be an interesting play. 
yeah, there there was a lot there that that I wanted to sort of digest and and, and follow up on. And I are there any suburb REITs like going the other way? So let's say you think this is permanent. Is yeah, there like a REIT? Call. Is there like a REIT that invests in the suburbs? So Do you know, you know of? I mean, that's a tough, I'm asking a tough question. Look at Dennis. Like he's got for he's got the symbol ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we do a lot of we do a lot of um, suburban investing as well, but I would say that we're more diversified. About seventy percent of our properties are in what we would call suburban, but infill. Right? You don't want to be in suburbia or an exurbia or anything like that. But if you're looking for a public REIT that is in more of the secondary lifestyle markets, um, a good name out there is Camden. But Camden is, um, and I believe it's the ticker is CPT. And the difference with Camden and EQR is Camden is not nearly as exposed to the major um, coastal markets as something like EQR. So they're, they're more of a, a secondary city and they would have much greater exposure <clears throat> to the lifestyle cities. And, and the only lifestyle city I can think of that EQR is exposed to is, is Denver. I'm assuming that's not Camden, New Jersey. Uh, no, no, no. Camden Property <laughs> Trust, CPT. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. I, I can make that joke. I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so, um, okay. Uh, Michael, before you were in real estate, uh, you worked on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for a PG, PG 13, uh, floor story from, from your days on the floor. First of all, and, and, and when were you there, Michael? I, I was at the exchange. I started at a very young age of 19 years old. Um, I was there in 1989. I'm, I'm aging myself here, dating myself. And I was there through 2005. So it was, um, it was a fantastic life. That's where I built my wealth. Um, had a lot of fun, but then punched out of the business in 05. And there were definitely some characters down there. What, uh, uh, what pits were you in? So I was in the Euro dollar pit. Oh, the Euro dollar pit. I was in the back month. <laughs> oh, the Euro dollar Oh, the Euro dollar We like those Euro dollar guys. Were you one of those guys that like, uh, the best thing about, I know I told this story before about the Euro dollar pit is like people would get in there. It was the 730 number, but it was really 830. And they would be packed in yeah. so tight that if you like moved your shoulder, you got thrown out, I mean, projected out of the pit, onto the floor. And I remember this guy, John Simpson. I remember, seeing, the name out. <laughs> I remember seeing him coming out of the pit. His jacket was soaked. His pants were soaked. His tie was soaked. And he'd get shot out of the pit. He grabbed his cards and just like went, like just started pulling people apart to get back in. Were you <laughs> one of those guys? That's a true story. You well, can, do you remember that, Michael? Do you remember yeah, that? You had to be aggressive down there. I mean, it was like that because you had, I mean, I don't even know how they passed code doing this, but you had in the Eurodollar print <laughs> 4,000 people in, in you know, a, a tiny room and we were shoulder to shoulder and my piece of real estate was 12 inches by 12 inches. <laughs> and, and 12 so inches. In the morning, especially on busy days, you would fight and claw um, you had squatters rights and things, you know, to those areas. So once you were there and you established yourself, but I'll tell you, getting established was one of the more difficult things. And I was, I remember going into the pits in 1997 and I was um, a brand new trader and a rookie and I was on the bottom step and the prototypical trader was somebody who was a former athlete. athlete. These are, you know, six foot two, six foot five, you know, former basketball players because sight lines matter. So I used to have my one foot standing on, on the step 
and I was pretty quick and I knew, you know, what to do. And, and so, and, but I used to have a vertical off that next step and up in the air, just so people could see my hands and throwing up to buy and sell things, you know, ahead of these other guys. So, um, so I learned pretty quickly, but then moved to the top step, but it was, it was a ton of, uh, of fun and, and certainly a, a career that, that I cherish and look back on and, and thankful. You, you still remember I, the hand signals? What's that? Still remember the hand signals? Oh, all of them. You know, yeah. I, I sometimes, yep. you know, I, I make the mistake just subconsciously as I'm <laughs> saying numbers, like throwing up my hands or something like that. But yeah, you don't, you know, they were such second nature at that time that um, I, I don't, I don't have many dreams anymore about trading. Um, those have sort of gone away, but maybe once every year or two, I'll, I'll wake up from, from having a dream about it. So, you know, kind That's of in a cold sweat. <laughs> hey, real quick, uh, SPG, Simon Property Group, these malls, uh, the mm -hmm. deal with Tobman went down. Yeah. They're talking about uh, Amazon. I mean, coming in there, I'm just thinking, what kind of rent is Amazon? I mean, you know, the malls, it's all based on like the square foot. Oh, man, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think about SPG long term? So they're going to be winners. Um, I mean, if you, if you truly believe that the malls are going away, then don't invest in any of them. But if you're going to go into the malls and you want to dip your toe, Simon is a really good one. They've got a great balance sheet. Um, what you might want to look at in that sector are the preferred securities because they have billions and billions of dollars ahead of them right now. But I think Simon is going to do fine. There's a few um, REITs that are, um, you, you have to focus on the quality of balance sheet and the quality of assets. And as you, um, it's sort of the last man standing, right? And so, you know, as we see the class B and C malls go away, some of that um, demand is gonna flow over to the class A mall. So Simon is a, uh, is a great, uh, great company, well-run uh, and certainly a lot of, um, lot of equity today. So you, I don't think you can go wrong with the, um, uh, Interesting. With the preferred securities. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the big get bigger, right? That's what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're saying it could apply to the malls as well. It definitely makes sense. Michael Episcope is the principal and co-founder of Origin Investments. If you uh, are interested in real estate investing, definitely a platform worth checking out. Michael, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for that story. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Appreciate being on. All right. Eight, no, that was fun. Uh, eight oh, yeah, fifty-three sure. here. Got a few minutes. Uh, the chat's talking about plug power. Uh, there is a short report circular. Uh, not uh, not plug power. Uh, workhorse. Workhorse. Well, the plug two, but uh, workhorse. There is a short report circulating today. Uh, I haven't been able to actually see it because I have the link. I put it in the chat, but the page is not loading. It's from who? from who? Uh, this is a new one for me, Dennis. Uh, Fuzzy Panda Research. I've never heard of this one either. I'm looking at the link right now. Fuzzy Panda Research. Yeah. And so, you know what? It is probably, they probably didn't have the servers. I probably, This is a server issue, I bet you, on their part. They've never had traffic like this before. Right. So, so, so they got a new, we got a new Citron slash Hindenburg slash Muddy Waters. Now it's Fuzzy Panda Research. Yep. So 54-page report. Saying it's worse than Nikola. That's from Nathan Michaud. He kind of summed it up there on Twitter. Um, I can't get in there either. You're right. Nobody can get in. It's been get a, nobody can get in because everybody wants to read because they want to know why their workhorse stock is trading down seven percent. Yeah. So yeah. Are you still short this, Mitch? Mitch there? Mitch was short this. I 
I think he trades it. I don't. Actually, Maybe he's out of it now. He was. Short I, I mean, these things they either they either turned out really, you know, like these guys are really right, and it continues to go down, or they get faded. Uh, we just hit a uh, pre-market low. It looks like we still got some more work to do on the downside. Current uh, pre-market low. We just hit uh, twenty-two oh seven. Uh, not much there. Twenty-two. Not, if it if this is real bad news. And people are believing this. Uh, 2036, uh, that was your low on September 24th. Who uh, who put the hit piece out on Enphase, ENPH? Was that Hindenburg? I, we, we talked about that. I, I wanted to buy it, man. This is a stock we talked I wanted about for that a long last time. Night. Who, who oh, was it? Was it Hindenburg? I, no, I, I will get the name for you. Um, we talked about that on the afternoon show. If, uh, Did you? If yeah, because yeah. the stock, this was back on June 17th, and the stock went from like $52 down to 37 on the hit piece. And what a buying opportunity that was. And I think we talked about it on the show, and I was like, I liked it. I just never pulled the trigger, and I kind of forgot about it. I mean, you move on, you forget about it, you don't come back to it. And you look at Enphase now, and it's $110. I mean, what an opportunity. The stock has almost tripled from that $37 low that it set after that hit piece from I thought it was him. No, it was not. It was from Prescience, uh, Prescience Point is, is who was. Oh, okay. We yeah. actually had them on this show before. Yeah, we have. Yeah. So I subscribe, actually. I should know that. I have the email right. subscription to it. Right. So. Uh, that one. And we had Gordon Johnson on our show that like the next day, and he defended Enphase. And Gordon Johnson was right. He was right. You, go, you know, Gordo, I, I like Gordo. And, you know, he calls us, he comes on here and he calls it how he sees it. He's not scared. He thinks the stock's a dollar. He says, I think it's going to a dollar. And it's like $50. I mean, he's extreme, but he gives his opinion. And you know what? A lot of times he ends up being right. So um, he came on, defended it. He's right here again. So you follow in, 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 in energy, in solar. Gordon Johnson's a guy I follow. You get a hold he, of him, he, he gets Spencer? Bullish, he works. I haven't been able to get a hold of him yet. Uh, okay. So okay. still working on that. But, GLJ research. Yep. I I want to go back to the chat and talk about plug power here. Yeah. Gosh, what can you say about that? What a move! Wow. It's this this the story's getting hot again. It broke out from fourteen, and you know the breakouts work. They don't work on a lot of stocks, but they work on the real story stocks. And this was a classic breakout. We say there's no such thing as a triple top. I mean, from a technical basis, Joel, is set up really well. I oh, wish I would have saw it four days ago, but I oh did not Lord, notice that. And boom, 14 to 19, just like that. You're coming in now, you've missed the move. But, I mean, the, the, the breakout here, if you're in it, I guess you're right. And you think, hey, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's like what Kenny Glick says. You know, a stock goes to 17 and a half. Next target's 20. Goes to 20, I think it's going 22 and a half. I mean, he's right with that strategy. It's grab 17 and a half. I think the next stopping point is 20. What's it do at 20? And that's where the optionality comes in. So it just makes sense, those levels. So no, yeah, just 1959, uh, that's what you hit. That's uh, at your pre-market. In the pre-market? Uh, yeah. Holy yeah. macro people are, they like to chase stocks. <laughs> now, that was a clean breakout over 14. Yeah, you're right about this. And we had the, uh, the gentleman, um, the CEO on or somebody like that, right, Spencer? We did. That's right. Yeah. What's going on with fuel cell today? Uh, well, Mitch just pointed out that today is uh, fuel cell day. What? What is fuel cell day? It's exactly what, it's a day to celebrate fuel cells. Is that like a Google thing, or is that like uh, where, well, where, in you the pro from? here today? Though they're saying so. If you want to know why fuel cell is up eleven percent, uh, it's apparent that J.P. Morgan's got a piece on them today. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, and over, that's over, major coverage. Yeah, overweight rating. Yep. Overweight. Rating. Uh, look at so this. So so that, and if you look. 
sorry, Joel, but if you look at analyst sure. ratings on fuel cell, there's not a lot of coverage there. And it's, there's no major covering this. So if they came out with a buy rating, and I don't know if we have confirmation of this it's, yet. It's overweight, which is their buy. Okay, we do. So wow. they've come out with a buy rating, JP Morgan. That's the first major to cover the stock. Like we look in Stiefel's pretty big. They cover the stock. Roth Capital, Craig Hallam, Cowan, Oppenheimer. But there's no big, you know, no, none of the big banks are covering the stock. So that's the first big bank to cover the stock. That'll pop it. So, I mean, ratings are ratings, and you can say, oh, yeah, this one's worth this one, this one's worth this one. But we have no major covering it, and all of a sudden a major comes out with a buy rating on it, that, that peaks interest. So I'm not surprised Fuel Cell is getting a lift. Um, I've tried to play this a couple times. Man, you had a washout low there three days ago. I don't know what yeah. happened. It went down to a buck fifty-eight. But that is like a complete reversal here now. And now everybody who washed out is like punching themselves in the head because the things you know, obviously really went up, and now it's up 250. I don't know if I'm coming here, but on a pullback, I'd be interested. 260. I mean, a lot of highs there. Didn't quite get there uh, just the last couple brackets, but I'll just give you earlier in the month, 268, 260, 268, 267. Get above there. I mean, this this one could be like a, a big uh, Robin Hood Weeple trade too. So uh, I don't know. Wouldn't want to be short this one if it takes out that uh, that 267, 268 area. Right. Mitch, Mitch, yesterday, right. we, yesterday we brought Mitch on at the end of the show. He told us watch out for uh, uh, solar. solar, right? And uh, so, Mitch, what do you have for us today? Okay, so one thing I'm noticing with fuel cells and also plug powers is at first we had kind Mitch, of a where's driver. your video? Stop, stop. Where's your video? Oh, it's early no. out there. I, I don't I, know if he wants to show yeah, it. Oh, man, we love seeing I'll match. set it up. I'll set it up. Like so five months we'll um, But the pattern okay, for, that I'm noticing, tomorrow. guys, <laughs> the pattern here is that it first went to lithium, right? Because we had that EV driver, right? So everyone was looking at the cars. Then – what, what happened is it moved to the, the thing behind the car. What makes the car? What makes the car run? So we went to lithium. Now we're doing the fuel cell runs. Now we got plug running. So I think that eventually we'll go back to EV. But right now, I would look at what makes EV. So you're looking at the battery plays. You're looking at the lithium plays. You're looking at all the things that are going to need to supply all this demand that is now going to be needed to make all these cars. The thing behind the thing. I mean, it's worth pointing out. Neo is consolidated. Tesla is consolidated. Uh, I yeah. think the EV play is going to get hot. Shiny object has migrated away from the cars and onto the thing that makes the cars. So it's, it's a good point. We, yeah. We've got we've got a rating too, Mitch. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, we got an upgrade on Tesla. Smaller firm, but an upgrade nonetheless. And it's getting some love here this morning from this new street research is it spencer that's it i never heard of it either but that's the name I, i've heard of them they do but i mean any upgrade on tesla will get press so even if it's from a smaller firm smaller research firm it's up 10 bucks it's showing life tesla has been in consolidation station so is neo i am long neo full disclosure i kind of like this neo chart joel um this has been in consolidation station for six seven days it's got a nice flag going um, you, you've got a clearly defined support oh, yeah. where you, you can get out. I'm long it already. If I wasn't long it, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm sticking with this. This is a swing trade, so I'm not just pumping it. Um, I, I think this is. Uh, I like this chart right now, so I actually feel like adding to it right now. Uh, yeah, all the lot. Yeah, consolidation station here. Uh, Below twenty would be my stop out. So if it yeah. starts to break down the other way, you've got clearly defined support. You got a nice setup here. So you know, could you have a three four point move? I think you can move to twenty five here on Neo. So I like Neo. I especially like it since the Tesla's moving here this morning as well. 
I think Mitch is spot on. I think the EV trade gets hot again. Obviously, Workhorse is a different story today. It's got a hit piece on it, so that might not participate, but um, I kind of like this Neo chart. Opening right into its all-time high, 22.59 oh, right now. Uh, well, we actually, now you got 50 cents away. So You're right in there, though. Yeah, you have to keep an Striking eye on that distance. potential breakout, 22.59. All right, that's going to be a wrap for us. We had a lot to talk about today, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more on the afternoon show at 3.40. So tune into that. Thanks to all the super chats and the comments in our chat and the, all the likes. We appreciate that as well. Thanks to all the participation on YouTube, on Benzinga.com, and on Benzinga Pro. Uh, you can find out more about Benzinga Pro and upcoming events by going to the description of this video on YouTube. There are links in there. Thanks to our guest today, Michael Episcope. Uh, please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Still trying, trying to get that workhorse short report up and the link is still not working for me. So I hope at some point today to read that report. I want to see what it says. Uh, but yeah, Joel and I will be back at 3.40 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, everyone have a great rest of your trading day and good luck. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.